Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're going to be talking about something that is incredibly important, so near and dear to my heart. We're talking about adoption. Our guest today, Margie Beach, adopted her sweet, brilliant, beautiful, adorable, fun, creative daughter (laughs) a few years ago. And we wanted to bring someone on the podcast to talk about this because when you choose a more conscious lifestyle, it can be more than food. As we talk about here, it can be more than what we buy for our house, what our clothes are, the things that we do. All of the choices that we make in life have an impact. And when you're trying to make choices that have a really, really positive impact, I can't think of one that makes a bigger impact than adopting a baby or a child or even fostering a teenager, any of it. Um, That's such a special, powerful choice to make. And so we wanted to bring Margie on to talk about her experience and also hopefully inspire some of you listening to at least consider, look into, think about the path of adoption. Yes, I was so lucky to be uh, Margie's friend and colleague during the time she was making a lot of these decisions. And I got to be alongside her as she considered everything that she's about to share with us. And it just, it makes me so happy to see the outcome and to have her on our podcast. So I hope that you are as inspired as we are. With that, let's jump into the show. Hi, Margie. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you and Michelle? We're doing great. Thanks so much for being part of our podcast. It's very nice. I've known Margie for quite some time, and it's an honor for me to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I am super honored to be on the show. Also, sorry, Michelle, I answered for you. She said, Hope, how are you? And I was like, oh, Michelle's doing great. She's fine. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Oh, Tony and I have uh, been talking a lot today. So you you know, I'm doing great. And Margie, I'm so, so happy you're here to talk about something that I know is super near and dear to my heart because I was adopted as a baby and my whole life exists as it is today because of that. And I think this is just a really powerful topic and something that a lot of people know relatively little about. And also, we know a lot of our listeners are super conscious and trying to, you know, make choices in their life that are doing the best good for people, planet, animals, our world, and and everything. And adoption is such a great option for that. So we're really excited to hear your story today. I specifically, because I know Tony knows it um, very personally, but I haven't heard your full story. So I'm excited to hear it today. Thank you. But before we jump into that, I am so moved by your vegan journey. Every time I've heard... So Margie and I used to work together at Animal Place, and whenever I would hear her tell her story about what inspired her to go vegan, I would start crying. Like every single time I'd heard it, maybe 10 times, and every time I was moved to tears. So uh, before we get there, where do you live and where are you from? That'll give us a good place to start. Okay, sure. So I live in Grass Valley and work at Animal Place. Uh, sanctuary for farm animals. Um, I am originally, well, I was born in Michigan, but moved out to California when I was six weeks old. So I'm originally from the Bay Area down in Sunnyvale. Born to the coolest parents. 
I would like to think so. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, growing up, what were your parents eating at the time? Were they conscious? Did they always raise you to be conscious about your food or was it more out of convenience in the way you ate? So my mom was, she wasn't vegetarian when I was a kid, but she was a vegetarian before I was born. So I think, you know, she always taught me about compassion and being compassionate towards others. And so she, she had that in her life. Um, my dad was a real, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy. Um, so I grew up eating meat, dairy and eggs, but I probably ate less animal products than most kids my age. And how did you, how did you become more knowledgeable about vegetarianism? Well, in middle school, I had, so I had, we adopted this dog, uh, Juju, and she had one eye. And so nobody wanted to adopt her. And I just remember one time seeing a cow with one eye. And for whatever reason, it triggered this connection that this cow was no different than my one-eyed dog. And so I, from there, I just ended up going vegetarian, which was not a shock to my parents, I think, but it was definitely an adjustment. Um, but that's how I started. I went vegetarian when I was, uh, I, I think I was 13. 13. And were your parents supportive at that time? I know Michelle was also really young when she was vegetarian and she was kind of left to eat some cereal and pasta. Was that <laughs> similar to your your story? Uh, luckily, no. Um, my mom was really concerned about where I would get calcium and protein, all those kind of myths about eating vegetarian or vegan. Um, but no, they made a point to make food for me and adjust and adapt, um, which I am so, so grateful for. That's really cool. And And then from vegetarian to vegan, I'm going to grab my tissue box right now. Can you, t- <laughs> can you tell us that story? I can. Yes. Yes. It's a, a, I think very few people have like an aha moment, you know, when on their vegan journey for those who are vegan. Um, but I did, I didn't become vegan until um, college Um, I studied animal science ever since the age of five. My dream was to become a veterinarian, and that is what I set my heart and mind to. So I went to a really good college that was geared towards veterinary school and picked a major I thought would be appropriate, animal science. And part of the animal science major at this school involved interning at one of their animal facilities. And the school has, they have a fully operational slaughterhouse. They have a dairy farm, um, a ranch for cows being raised for their flesh. You name it, the school has a farm dedicated to exploiting some species of animal. And because I really loved cows, but I didn't want to work with cows being raised for their flesh, I decided to intern at the dairy farm. And so I would get up at three in the morning and I would milk cows for three hours. And, you know, it's like I knew what happened on dairy farms, but it was very different seeing it firsthand. Um, And one morning, one of the cows um, was struggling to give birth. She was down. She'd been in labor for hours. 
and she couldn't get up. Like she could, she just had kind of given up on giving birth. And so we were tasked, the interns were tasked with helping this cow give birth. And the way you help a cow give birth is you wrap chains around the legs of the calf. She'd able, she'd been able to get the legs out and you literally pull the calf out. And so I was one of the people pulling this calf out. And, you know, even though I, I knew what was going to happen next, it, I didn't know, no, like in my heart, no. Um, so, you know, we pulled this calf out and the first instinct you know, a mother has, including cows, is to go to their baby, groom them and get them to start nursing. And so this cow who who couldn't get up starts, you know, looking for her baby. And within seconds of being born, um, the farm workers were tar- starting to drag the baby away. And the mama cow, oh, gosh, it was just like, it was just really devastating. She just started screaming for her baby. And I had never in my life heard someone express such sorrow and anguish in that one cry. And she starts trying to get up, you know, she wants to get to her baby. And then this poor baby starts crying for her. And I just was standing there like I was a part of this awful scene of separating a mother from her child. And it just struck me in that moment, like that is who I get milk from. Like that's where my ice cream comes from, my butter, my cheese, all these things that I love to eat, but like didn't give much thought to. This is where it came from, like this moment. And it just, it broke my heart. And so I stopped that day consuming dairy. And of course it got me thinking about, Hey Margie. Yeah, Very quickly. Why were they taking the calf away? So the reason they were taking the calf away, of course, is they want to sell that milk that she's producing for her baby to humans. So they don't want the baby to be nursing. Um, so they want to take those calves away so that she can be put back in milk production. Um, and the baby was a boy, so he didn't have much value anyway. And at this particular school, they use the boys for um, euthanasia training for vet students. So tragic. Okay, sorry. Continue on. Um, you it got you thinking about your dairy consumption and and was it immediately in that moment that you just thought I can never do this or did you have to sit with it and process what you had just experienced? I did not have to sit with um, processing in terms of like I gave up dairy that day. Like it wasn't worth it to me um, and. I actually just kind of threw every, I feel bad in hindsight that I wasted food, but I did throw all the dairy products out that I had had because I just couldn't get that image out of my head. Um, But then I started to research, what about the egg industry and, you know, what, what happens there? And I don't know if it was within weeks or months or soon thereafter that I gave up eggs as well. Wow. (laughs) That was my First time hearing you tell that story, Margie, and I have to say, I'm like kind of shaky. I feel like I'm going to hurl. Like it is, especially having gone through the giving birth process <laughs> so recently and knowing how hard it is to bring life from inside of your body to out of it. That moment yeah. where you're then able to connect with your baby makes all of the suffering that you'd been through for nine months, but especially those hours leading up to it, 
it just, everything goes away and you're able to connect with your baby and to take that away from anyone, any mother is just so, this is the second time I have tears in my eyes from a podcast episode that Tony and I recorded today. (laughs) Yeah. It's so sad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and from there, um, I know that you have inspired many, many people, including your meat and potatoes father. (laughs) Yes, I was shocked that eventually my dad got it. He got the connection and now my whole family's vegan. So it's such a wonderful, and I know not everyone has that. And it's so important to have, you know, at least one or two people in your life that get it. Can you just take a moment because I know a lot of people don't experience it, but it is like a fairy tale to hear that those stories can be real life. Can you just like share a little bit? You go for the holidays and you're all eating the same food. Everyone's cooking beef. Like, how does that feel? Everyone's going to live vicariously through you. So please be descriptive. We're going to all close our eyes now. I can imagine. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, there's no, I mean, there used to be so many fights over Thanksgiving dinner and now it's just such a, I mean, it's such a wonderful event come November. You know, I look forward to it every year and sitting down with my family and, you know, making, we like the um, tofurkey roast, but um, there are many different options. But just not, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about what you're eating. You don't have to worry about family members judging you or making snide comments. And you just feel like you're home and you're safe and everybody gets it. And I feel very fortunate to have that with my family. That's yeah. amazing. Oh. oh, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say that that's amazing that Izzy gets to grow up in that environment too and just not even have to witness the tension <laughs> in like yeah. family gatherings. That's so beautiful. And that's yeah. That's what I was going to say is you have a baby girl and uh, we're going to jump into talking more about that. But um, is she so far enjoying the vegan diet, vegan lifestyle? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think she knows otherwise, although I'm very upfront and honest about, you know, why we don't eat animals and why we do eat plants. And um, she loves animals as much as I do. So I, I think she's enjoying it greatly. And she's not a picky eater, thank goodness. So she she loves pretty much everything. And what a gift to grow up on a farm where you just appreciate animals all day, every day, and you get to look into their eyes and pet them. And I love all the photos of Izzy with especially cows, of course. Yes, me too. (laughs) All right. Yeah, she's terrified of chickens, but she loves cows and pigs. I thought you were going to say terrified of pigs, which would have been understandable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's an inside joke there where Margie tried to get me not to be afraid of pigs. And then I was bit by a pig. (laughs) Sorry. That's that's that joke. It was really, really funny to be bit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is a good segue. Um, Michelle actually thought you'd be really great. And I agree to talk about your adoption journey. So Michelle, do you want to continue on? Yeah. I mean, Margie, as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of people just are unaware of 
adoption, the process, how it goes, why someone might choose adoption, and then just all of the wonderful benefits that come with it. And then also any of the struggles or the challenges that have been hard. Um, Yeah, we want to hear it all. So can you talk a little bit about maybe why you chose to go the route of adoption, how you got there? Yes, absolutely. Um, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a mom. Um, my vision was very different than reality. I dreamed I would have like four children and I'd graduate college and be married and, you know, already starting to have babies and become (laughs) a veterinarian. And of course that's not what happened, um, or anywhere close to reality. Um, but yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, and as I got older and graduated from college and, you know, got into working in the nonprofit world, Um, especially working to help end the exploitation of farmed animals, you know, I started to see how harsh humanity is on the planet um, to other beings, um, you know, other animals, the environment. And I, I just learned that I didn't personally, and I know like, adoption, birth, all of that, creating a family is so deeply personal. Um, So I I say this speaking only for myself, um, but that I didn't want to contribute to um, the growing human population. I wanted to help a child. um, So I decided that I would, you know, look into adoption and see if that would be something that would be a way for me to grow my family. That's awesome. I do also want to share, like from my perspective, all of you listening probably know I had a baby recently, but, um, and that was sort of a personal choice with that took a long time to come to. But I think that the best choice that we can make is to adopt. And if I know there's a lot of people who are like unsure about which route they want to go for any number of reasons, but Choosing to adopt not only is going to obviously give a beautiful life to someone that may not otherwise have had anywhere near the opportunities that you can provide them and the love that you can provide them and can become a part of your family, but also it really does impact the world. Margie, do you have any like things to share about the impact of a human being coming into our world and how that impacts like our environment, our animals even, because this person is eating, you don't know if they're going to be vegan forever, all of the things. Like what did, what all went into your mind as you were making that decision? I mean, honestly, I was not as focused on, I mean, I, I looked at the big picture of like, there's so many humans and we have dwindling resources, especially water um, and land resources. Um, But what really got me was learning that in the United States, there are over 400,000 children in foster care. And that in California alone, there's over 60,000 children who are looking for their safe forever families. And that just I was shocked. Like, I just did not know how many children in the U.S. were in desperate need of a safe, loving family. Um, And so when I learned that and tied with like just not wanting to add to the population, it just for me seemed uh, so obvious that I would want to pursue domestic um, adoption. One of the most interesting parts to me about this journey that you've taken, and I've 
had the honor and privilege to be alongside you when you were making a lot of these decisions and stepping into the journey, the big, big journey of choosing which route to go, whether international or domestic or whether to foster or whether to like, there are so many options. Um, but before you had you, before you made that decision, um, was there any pressure from anyone to wait till you had a partner before you made that decision? Cause you did this solo, which I imagine is, um, more of a hardship because you're, your decision, you have a network, of course, but you ultimately take on the responsibility of the child within your home. And, and that's pretty big. So can you talk a little bit about what that process was like being an individual stepping into this on your own? Yeah. I mean, I, like my parents, I, I were concerned, I think just because they're my parents and, you know, they want what's best for me. Um, and having a partner would certainly divide up the responsibility of raising a child. Sorry if you hear my cat. Hey, um, <laughs> um, but, you know, ultimately, I, I just felt so strongly about being like, I wanted to be a mom. And I know it's really selfish in many ways. Um, but I, I, I just, I wanted to have that experience. And as I got older, you know, I was like third in my thirties when I started looking at, um, adoption. Um, I just figured I had to do it when I was doing it and not worry so much about, you know, whether I had a partner or not. I'm Um, curious why you think it's selfish or why you felt that. I was just going to say, I feel like stepping into motherhood is the ultimate, like, even if you didn't think this way before, once you become a mom, you're, you always become second. Like you're putting your child in front of you in all things for the rest of your life. It's like kind of the ultimate selfless action. And then adopting (laughs) on top of that, like, holy moly. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just, it was for me, you know, like, and, and that's what I felt initially, but I mean, yes, it's true. Like my life now is very different than my life before Izzy after having her in my life, it's, it's a very, it is very selfless because you have to be, you're not, you're not your priority anymore. Um, I am my priority for some things for self-care and for, you know, having a full bucket of love and emotion for Izzy. Um, but yeah, my, my life was very much changed. Uh, I was, I was going to say that, uh, or as long as I've known Margie, she has been really extremely dedicated to farmed animals and and she still is of course uh but i wonder if that's some of the selfishness that you might feel it internally within yourself it, if you're not single issue focused or single um if you're all of your attention isn't dedicated to one thing which is helping animals do you then feel a little bit of selfishness because that's what I see in a lot of other activists is that if they're um, if they're really deeply involved in the movement, that sometimes there's this pressure to not have any personal um, grat- gratification while yeah. there's suffering happening. 
Yeah, I don't, I see that. And I don't think I thought of it that way. Um, But it's a really good point. I think it's very true. And it's a big problem, I think, in the animal rights movement and probably all social justice movements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I felt deeply. And it's a reason why my husband and I took 10 years before actually deciding we were going to have a kid. And even in making that decision, I was thinking this is 20 years of my life plus that my full-time job will know full-time. I mean, I spent all of my hours um, focused on trying to create a better world. And I knew this would take my focus away from that. And it was a big reason why we, I almost didn't have kids. And I am, I believe a big reason why Tony, you decided not to have kids. And I think it's actually pretty cool that the three of us are here to talk about these things because it used to be your role models in the world. There was one path. You're born a woman. You're, you go through your path of life. You find a partner, you have a baby, you or lots of babies, you raise them, and then they take care of you. And then you die. (laughs) Like, it was one preset path. And I'm so, so glad now that that's finally changing. And so many women are choosing and men are choosing not to have kids because they realize they have the choice. You by no means, uh, you know, that it actually is probably better for the world and better for so many things if you choose not to. So to to just do that because it's all you know or it's all you've seen is, um, I think, a real unfortunate sadness um, unless you're actively choosing that path because it's going to be fulfilling for you and you want to raise a human being. And as Margie said earlier, it's such a personal choice. We all have our opinions. And, and uh, as Michelle just said, I am choosing not to have children, which is a disappointment to a lot of people in my life, especially my parents. And I hear about it all the time. And I do bear some guilt because I always, of course, want to make my parents happy and I love them. But I also really deeply care about the environment. And I know that having and animals, and I I believe that the path to um, that 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 path is just not for me. That the path to contributing to anything that could potentially harm animals or the environment would just make me sad. And it's a lot of it would be a lot, especially if my kid grew up to eat meat or hate certain types, certain groups of people, or just if I had brought in any hate into the world or any harm. I, I would wear that forever. So it's too much for me, but uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I feel like in any path that you choose, you're going to face some struggle. And I'm curious, Margie, to hear some of the struggles that you faced because it was a long road and you had to learn a lot about the different options available to you. So how did that go? Yeah, it, this was the adoption process was very, very labor and intensive. It was a labor of love. Um, yeah, I started the process in July, I think, of 2014. And I decided very early on that, you know, I wasn't going to go the route of like a surrogate. And I felt very strongly that um, international adoption 
wasn't appropriate for me, not just because of the cost, because it's very expensive to adopt internationally, um, but there were just also some cultural um, and I think ethical issues with some forms of international adoption. And I wasn't interested in private adoption. Part of it, just to be frank, was it it's expensive. It's expensive to do private adoptions. Um, and I just felt like the kids who needed the safest um, homes were kids in foster care. Um, and those are kids who have been removed from their biological families um, because their biological families couldn't keep them safe. Um, and they needed, you know, they were in foster homes or they were in group homes. Um, and those were the kids that I was most interested in helping. Um, so I decided to go the route of working with a nonprofit adoption agency um, called Sierra Forever Families. Um, they have a different name now. And to pursue adoption that way, they work with, um, I think it's like over 20 counties in Northern and Central California with CPS, Child Protective Services. Um, and that's, that's the route that I decided to go. And it was quite a process. You go through several weeks of day-long classes. And basically those classes and trainings are a way to weed out people who can't commit to, um, to adoption because it's not, it's not a walk in the park. I mean, parenting is not a walk in the park, but parenting children with trauma um, is definitely no picnic. Um, so that was hard. Like, do you know, it was very discouraging in a way. Um, and I kept doubting, like, is this a good idea? Am I making the right choice? Um, but I stuck with it. Um, and then you go through a home study and a home study can take months. And basically you have a social worker who comes into your home and dissects your life um, to make sure that you can provide a safe, loving home for a foster child or an adoptive child. Um, and you have to renew that every year. And before I even met Izzy, you know, it was almost, gosh, two years before I would meet her. And it took a year plus to become certified as an approved foster home in, in California. So that was challenging. Oh my gosh. The true superheroes of the world. <laughs> like, like I feel like we're exposed to so many sur superheroes in the animal world of people rescuing animals and everything. But but this is just making me think this is the ultimate superhero. <laughs> yes. Keep telling your story. Okay. Well, and there were families who just all they do is foster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I met one woman who has fostered 40 children wow. and of different ages. And it just blows my mind. I wouldn't have the emotional, physical, economic fortitude to, to do that. I can handle one, one kid. <laughs> That's it. Um, so yeah, there was the struggle of, of just getting approved to adopt through the county and state. Um, and then, you know, it was the process of, I think one of the most depressing things was going into the adoption agency. They had a office in the nearby town where I live and they have a book of all these kids who need homes and it has their story and, you know, their siblings and their background and um, all their likes and, you know, all these profiles on, on these little human beings. And it was just 
I would just go home and cry, like to see dozens and dozens and dozens of children who, many of whom were older and wanted to be with their biological family and who couldn't, you know, and young kids who didn't want to be separated from their siblings and they try very hard to keep sib sets together. Um, and just like that, there's so many different ages, like that they've been taken from the same family, um, you know, the whole, whole siblings. And it's just heartbreaking kids being born addicted to heroin and kids who just are from the get go, like set up to fail. Um, and, you know, I wanted to like take them all home, um, but obviously could not. Um, so that was like actually harder, I think, than just getting certified was just like seeing these kids um, and and knowing I could only help one and it had to be the right fit too. I understand how the the woman who has fostered 40 kids ends up in that path because I think this is something that just you don't know about. You've never heard about. You've never even heard the stories like yours, Margie, but definitely haven't seen it face to face. And once you're aware, um, it's, I imagine, incredibly hard to turn your back on, of course, but even have to limit yourself to how much you can as an individual do. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, and it was really important for me though, like before I even started the process and then while I was going through training to really sit down. I mean, the nice thing is that I went through an agency and they don't charge you anything. Um, it's a nonprofit. They get funding from the state. Um, and they assign you a social worker, um, who is there to answer questions and guide you. And like, you just have to be really upfront about, with yourself and with them about who you can realistically handle. You know, I wasn't, and I wasn't ready to handle a child over the age of four or five. Um, as kids get older in foster care, they've been through multiple traumas. They're going to have a lot more difficulty adjusting. And so they need a, a family set that can um, handle that accordingly. Um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be able to handle um, a child with significant physical or learning disabilities. And these are questions that you have to like think about and think for yourself what you can handle physically, emotionally, and financially. Um, you know, so I, I had to sit down and, and it was hard because it felt like I was, I was turning my back on these kids who needed somebody. Um, but at the same time, I knew I was going to be opening my heart and my world to someone who who also needed help and who would fit really beautifully into my life and my family and and become a part of that. Um, so it's something you know if you're considering adoption, which I I would love to see more people consider. Um, but knowing what you can and can handle is really important, and that's why I think like a uh, an adoption agency specifically a nonprofit one that's in it for the kids um, is the best way to go. How do you know, how do you know what, which adoption or, or foster organizations are in it for the kids? I mean, I would look for nonprofit agencies that are not religious or have a religious affiliation, although there are some really quality ones that are are definitely in it for the kids, but they tend to have more restrictions than 
nonprofits that work with CPS. Um, I think the biggest indicator is that if they work with CPS and they have social workers, qualified social workers who will work with you, um, I, those would be kind of the key key things. Um, you know, that's what I looked for. I just did Google searches until I found um, local nonprofits that did adoption and, and found the one that fit best with my belief systems and um, that seemed to be doing the best work for kids. And for those who don't know, CPS is Child Protective Services. And, okay, so oh, that when you finally were approved, what was the transition from being an independent single person to now caring for someone uh, who uh, is a, is not an infant, but not yet a, a toddler? Yeah. So the part of the process of with this particular system is you create your um, home profile and it's a flyer and it has a picture of you. And in this case, I put a picture of me and two of the sheep at Animal Place. Mm-hmm. And it has a bio on you and information on your family and your setup and what your lifestyle's like. And they take those flyers and they disseminate them to um, other agencies and CPS, Child Protective Service um, agencies in the state. And while I had like looked at a couple of children who I thought might be a good fit, um, they ended up not being. Um, But then I got a call from my social worker and another social worker had seen my flyer, although she was gravely disappointed that I didn't have two sheep in the backyard (laughs) (laughs) because she thought I came with sheep. Um, But, you know, she had a child under her care um, who she felt would do really well with a female, a mom, um, a single parent. Um, She was very scared of men um, and looked at my lifestyle and, and it just seemed like to her that I'd be a perfect fit for this, this little 18 month old uh, girl. And so that's how I learned about um, Izzy. And it, to me, it shocks me to this day. So Izzy, by the time I met her had already been including her birth home um, in two other foster homes. So by the time she was 18 months old, she had been moved around three times, um, which is an incredible trauma for anybody, but especially a child um, and an infant. People think infants are super adaptable and like that they can just be, you know, kind of bounced around from place to place. But there's so much research and data that show that this is those kind of movements and disruptions are incredibly traumatic. Um, and cause a lot of delays and, and emotional issues. And so when I met her, she was very tiny. She was born premature, so she was already very physically tiny. Um, but she didn't know how to walk. You know, she was 18 months old, and she still couldn't walk. Um, she had difficulty verbalizing anything. Um, she was just really delayed from um, the trauma that she had endured from being moved around from place to place. And she was in a very um, hectic foster home with a, another child who had some learning disabilities and an infant. Um, so she was kind of, she was well-loved by this foster family, but she didn't get the attention that she needed. Um, and so I met her and 
um, won her over with blueberries, <laughs> her favorite food. Um, and then she came over to my house for a few weekend um, overnight stays just to like get to know each other. Um, they take that process as slow or as quickly as, you know, it's needed. Um, and then in, gosh, I think June or July of 2016, she was moved into my house and her room. And overnight I became a, a mother and it was quite a shock. <laughs> Did you step into it feeling all of the maternal instincts kick in or was that something that came as you communicated with her more often and she relied on you more and looked to you for love and support? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I think there's like this weird belief that like a child comes into your home and like there's going to be butterflies and puppies and hugs and kittens and it's going to be magical. And, you know, you're not when you give birth for a, a woman, you have so many hormones and like you've grown that child inside of you. Um, so there's that like just hormonal and emotional connection like that a lot of not everybody. So I don't want to make a broad statement, but a lot of mothers feel when their child is born. Um, and for me, it was different. You know, I, I didn't give birth to Izzy. And she was already 18 months old. And when she came into my home, it was it was an adjustment for us both. I was so lucky to have my mom who stayed with us for the first month so that I could kind of navigate being a single uh, working mom and having this little being, this little toddler in my life. Um, the the love and can I felt immediate love for her, like. I felt that the second I met her and she took blueberries out of my hands, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the most perfect, wonderful creature. And can she be in my life forever? I did have that. But I think the like real deep, unconditional love, it came over those first few days of connecting with her, of, you know, seeing her show curiosity with um, my doggies, you know, now she had dogs in her life and um, wanting me to sing to her like she wouldn't go to sleep unless I wrapped her up in this like papoose and danced to the Lumineers. That's like how we bonded. Um, so it came with time, but it came quickly with time, um, that love. And, and it's grown ever since. I know this is kind of a weird comparison, but I think for some people, it's it's really hard to to picture and understand the the deepness and sameness in a lot of ways as of the love of a, of a parent and a child that's adopted and a parent and a child that you birthed. Um, but when, um, when you think about animals, like if you've adopted an animal companion, you don't love that animal companion any less because they have a different biological mom that is still your baby. And, and the love there is, is real and full as full as it could possibly be. And, um, I know that's kind of helped some people that I know kind of understand that the capacity for love is there in you already. And the capacity to be loved is like needing to be filled by a baby or a child or a teenager. And that bond can, can be so strong, if not even stronger, um, just because 
just of the the beautifulness around the story. I know for me, I'm I not only have amazing parents who I love so much, but I am also acutely aware that my story could be so different and that my parents chose me and they fought for me and worked so hard to be able to go through the adoption system and bring me into their life. And that adds a whole other layer of of like love and appreciation and family um, that's not there when you have your own children. That's really beautifully said, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Okay, so I I'm just eager to hear any other sweet, heartwarming moments. Like, are there any moments that stand out in your head where you're just like your body was just filled with just warmth, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my god, I can't imagine my life any other way. Like, had any little kink in your story happened differently, you wouldn't have the daughter that you have today. Like, tell us a little bit about those moments because I think that's so meaningful. Yeah. I mean, initially when she moved in, when she became, and I have to say too, like the process is a little different than like private adoption um, because you have to go through the process of fostering before all parental rights are terminated and then you can officially adopt. Um, So for the first almost year and a half, half, I want to say, I was fostering her. And there were moments that were really scary because um, that there were times when I thought maybe she would be taken away. Um, And those were uh, the hardest moments. um, Because it's not, it's just not like you get a kid and you adopt that kid that day. It's a it's a long process. And um, so I don't know why answered that way and to your question, but it just got me thinking about about that aspect of fostering to adopt. Um, but initially when she came in, she couldn't walk any way but sideways. So she would do these little crab walks mm-hmm. to get places. And I just remember when she finally started walking forwards and backwards towards me to she really loves music and she really loves dancing and it was to come to me to dance and and sing with me Um, and that I just remember those moments um, very acutely um, of of having that sweet connection Um, but every day she's just like especially now she's so much more verbal and and her imagination is just I mean I I don't remember I'm sure we all as kids have these great imaginations, but I just don't remember it. And so to see and live vicariously through her imagination has just been amazing. And, and my love for her and, and support of her just grows every, every day as she finds her way in the world. And it's a hard world right now to find her way in, you know, it's really hard with the pandemic and she's starting school and it's distance learning and, So all these challenges that we're facing, um, but she brings me and anyone who knows her, I think, an immense amount of of joy. And I hope in return, I am giving her an immense amount of joy and safety and love that she deserves. Oh, that's obvious through the photos you share and all the stories you tell. (laughs) Oh my gosh, they're my favorite. Margie, is there any, well, hmm, let's, let's start easy. Are there any resources 
that you'd recommend for anyone who's considering a, adoption or maybe they're just hearing that this is a, an option for them uh, to consider? Is there any place that you found a lot of comfort in or or support groups or anything for people who are considering adoption? I don't know of any support groups for like prospective adopters. Um, one thing I would recommend, well, two things. There are a lot of um, of the adoption agencies, including the one I went through, offer um, mentorship programs where maybe you're not ready to adopt or you don't know what it's like to interface with some of the foster kids. Um, they have these mentor programs, although I don't know what they're like right now with COVID, um, but where you are like this one safe adult, this consistent adult in this kid's life. Um, you know, you take them out once a week. You're there for this foster kid in a way that nobody else has been. Um, and that's a great way to like kind of dip your feet in to see if like this is something you might want to pursue. Um, and then there's also another really great program called um, CASA. CASA. Uh, it's a court appointed special um, advocate. And these are people who you go through training and you become an advocate, a, basically a legal advocate um, for a foster child. Um, and those are a couple of great ways to to learn more about the system and also help children in the system. Um, and then I would just look for um, people who have adopted and ask them about their experience, as well as people, if you know, and who are comfortable with sharing their story, um, people who have been adopted. Um, it was very important for me when I went through this process to talk to um, people who've been adopted, um, as well as people who did adopt, um, because those two experiences can be very different, um, as I'm sure, you know, Michelle can speak to um, as someone who was adopted. Um, and I wanted to be very sensitive to um, some of the challenges that children who are adopted um, may face as they grow up. And then I guess just like searching for adoption agencies and reaching out to them and talking more to them because they'll also have a lot of resources um, as will Child Protective Services, um, which are often under like human health um, services. They'll also have resources for fostering and adoption. And lastly, do you have any advice to people who want to bring want, want to bring a child into their home? Uh, do a lot of research. Take your time. Um, be super realistic about who you can and cannot handle. Um, make sure you can afford to have a child. It's very expensive. Um, and just, I mean, follow your heart. And and that if you are in a position to open your heart and your life to a child in need, fostering and adopting, I mean, the country and the state is so desperate for foster homes and adoptive homes. And there are tens of thousands of children who need that safe, consistent, loving family, um, and they deserve it. And if you're in a position to be that loving family, please, please, please consider fostering and adopting. Oh, that's awesome. I just in case anyone's feeling overwhelmed by the challenges, because I know we did talk a lot about that. Can you just share how you feel now on the other side with your daughter 
Like, how does that feel now? It feels wonderful. I mean, all of the hard work and the weight and, um, you know, all of that hardship, it was made worth it to wake up every day to a child who sees the world in such a beautiful, wonderful way and to watch her grow and experience this world for the first time. Like every day really is a new day for her. Um, it's incredible. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, everything that I went through, um, is, has been totally worth it, um, to have this wonderful little human being in my life. And has she adjusted? Well, uh, I know you mentioned that earlier she had moved a lot. Now is she, would you say she's adjusted in your home? Yes, absolutely. I mean, she had some adjustment early on, um, but she also had a lot of support. I mean, one of the great things going through this agency is they provide you with a lot of support. So she had a lot of support with physical therapy and occupational therapy. And I had a lot of support and resources um, with the agency. So those things really helped when I was- Are those free to you? Through this agency, yes. Okay. And- um, uh, kids in the, who are adopted, um, I think until the age of 18 often have free, like physical and occupational therapy support if needed, um, which is wonderful. I, I assume that depends on your state. That's true for California at least. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I wouldn't change anything. Um, my family is complete with her in it. Oh, I love that. I, I've always felt that as I know this is different for everybody, but from my own experience, I feel like as an adopted kid, I became one of the luckiest kids in the world. And a lot of adopted kids are, are the luckiest because we have parents who now hearing your story, especially, I feel like I know your story better than my own parents. I want to go and ask them to tell me in detail everything they went through, but you just have such a ready... So many people have kids before they're ready or they haven't really put that much thought, love, care into the decision-making process. It's just like, oop, I'm pregnant. We're having a baby. <laughs> and when you're adopted by by someone through the system, you really get someone that is so dedicated and ready for you. And that's just such a special, lucky thing. So... I'm so happy that Izzy gets that with you. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for all the kids that that get that with their adopted uh, with their parents, their moms and dads um, who've adopted them. So thank you so much for coming on, Margie. We're so grateful to have you share this and such a personal story. And I really, really do also hope that it inspires many listening to um choose the path that's that's definitely harder in the beginning, but it is just as if not even more rewarding and so worth it in the end. So thank you, Margie. Thank you, Margie. Thank you so much for having me. And I am also very open to being a resource for anybody who is interested in fostering or adopting. Awesome. Do you want to share how people can get in contact with you? Yeah, they can email me at margie at animalplace.org, M-A-R-J-I. Awesome. And we will include any of the resources that you've mentioned. And if you think of anything else after this recording, we will drop it into the show notes over at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Thanks, Margie. Thanks, Margie. Thank you. I have always thought that Margie is just so well-spoken and I love hearing 
her vegan story and her adoption story are just so compelling. I'm I just uh, so inspired by her. Yeah. Thank you so much, Margie, for coming on. For all the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We hope that this may change the course of some of your lives and some lucky kids out there maybe find a forever home with one of you listening. That would be the greatest gift that could come out of this podcast episode. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. I know that's a tongue twister, but we're so grateful for all of the support there that helps bring this, these free resources and these episodes to life. Um, stay tuned as always to our future episodes coming for the rest of the season. If you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and also feel free to leave a review. We absolutely love it. Thank you so much for listening, for tuning in, and we will talk to you in the next one. Bye. Bye.